What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. An hour delayed uh, thanks to the Blue Jays game, but we will be on for the full two hours anyways. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined remotely today by my uh, co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Dranzer, what's going on, man? Not much, buddy. I, uh, I've come out to Ontario to see a baby, Very you know, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> And uh, so I saw the baby. You saw the baby. Was, so you're on the I flight. I saw the baby. You're on the flight home then, right? <laughs> okay. I, I might as well be. I came. I saw the baby. Bye. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> the, the baby's like less than 10 days old too. It's like, there's not a lot to they see. They don't do a whole lot. <laughs> no, it was, you it know was what? sleeping with its eyes closed. Yep. That sounds about right. Ba- baby Luca, the newest baby in my fa- extended family. Adorable. An absolute peanut. So welcome to this world, buddy was worth the travel congratulations congratulations uh to to you and luca and the whole family um <laughs> lots to get into today including uh some unfortunate canucks news we touched on it a little bit yesterday but official and more of an idea on the timeline of ethan bear's injury uh we will talk about that but uh joining us right now to kind of take a spin around the nhl look at some off-season storylines talk about some of the news coming out of the nhl today uh he is of course from espn he is greg wishinski wish what's going on man Hello. Um. Oh. Well. I'm. I'm back home. Probably earlier than I thought I'd be. Yes. <laughs> because. Because it was. It was interesting. I was talking to somebody about this before. The paradox of it being a quick series in five games, but because of the preposterous number of days they built in between the games, it. It was also really a really long time mm-hmm. <laughs> away from home. Mm. Um. But. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot less competitive than I think a lot of us thought, and, and now we understand why, which is that. Uh, the Florida Panthers were uh, broken uh, beyond repair uh, playing uh, in this series. It's always almost a little, it's not comical because they're in a lot of pain into their bodies. And I understand that, but it is always kind of like a little bit funny when you hear the list of injuries after a team is eliminated from the playoffs. And this one feels like an all timer just in the, the severity of them and the, the, you know, to key players and all of it. Like this is a notch above (laughs) even what we normally hear from teams that make a deep run. Well, we didn't get that. We didn't get the Patrice Bergeron. I played with a punctured lung uh, thing. Uh, we came close <laughs> to it, though. We came close to it. Honestly, though, like I mean, listen. First of all, let's point out that the, the preposterousness of hockey culture to reward players for uh, how much pain they play through in the playoffs is is kind of a backwards way of going about it. But but the thing that the, honestly, the only one that really I got to know more about is Kachuk. Like. I would love to hear from a team doctor yep. that's like, you've got a broken sternum. Um, you need help from your brother to get your gear on, but but suit up for whatever number of minutes he played in game four and uh, and, and go from there. Like, I, I kind of need to know more about that decision because that sounds like an injury where if the other team knows about it, and clearly they, they did, that, that could probably lead to something a little bit worse than what he he currently has i don't know i mean i'm not again i'm not a doctor i don't know but like when i hear about that injury and the location of it and and the severity of it and and how it's been for other players that's that's one where i'm like i would like to know 
what went into the clearance for him to even play in game four. Well, and I thought it was very interesting that he did, like, he already had the injury, played in game four, and then didn't play in game five. Like, presumably, he didn't break it worse. You know what I mean? It was pr- pretty much still the same injury. So, I, uh, that I thought was interesting. And maybe, I don't know, like, if they had won game four, if they tied it up and won in overtime, I wonder if he still would have uh, had a go at it in game five. That's a great question. I- I'll give. I'll give Paul Maurice credit for one thing. Um, I was I was there obviously in Vegas for Game Five, and and I, I got to tell you, like as annoying as it was that he was being so obtuse about Kachuk's status for the game, it worked. I I talked to a bunch of Golden Knights people maybe two hours before puck drop, and they were asking me if he was going to play. <laughs> like like the, the the smoke screen worked to the point where the Golden Knights didn't really know if they should prepare for him to play limited time in the lineup or if they should prepare for him to not play at all. So that, that little bit of, of gamesmanship, I think, was, was actually pretty effective. I mean, it didn't work at all as far as, like, the result of the game. They got their behinds handed to them. <laughs> but at least it, uh, it created a little bit of palace intrigue on the part of the Golden Knights before the game. Wish, I want to turn the conversation to Jesper Bratt because, uh, of course, you're a noted New Jersey Devils fan. Uh, and this deal looks like really good business for a Devils team that has a lot of cap space, but also some big ticket items to take care of this summer. Uh, one of the biggest tickets now settled. Uh, what does this mean for the team? What's your reaction to the Jesper Brat eight-year, $63 million contract? My, my first reaction was surprise because the, 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 the negotiation between him and the Devils was so contentious last summer insofar as them wanting to go long-term and him steadfastly not agreeing to the terms that they wanted and, and, you know, settling on a one-year deal that I'm, I'm really surprised that it went as smoothly as it did. There was a lot of sort of discussion about, about Brad vis-a-vis the Timo Meyer acquisition at the trade deadline on whether or not Timo Meyer was like, yes, for Brad insurance <laughs> in case they couldn't mm. figure a way to get him locked in long-term. And then, not only did they lock him in long-term, they get him in under Jack Hughes's AAV, which was another concern, was that Brat would try to, like, outkick Jack's, you know, uh, average annual value, which, which didn't happen. So, you know, overall, a, a, great, a great signing for the Devils. I mean, they lock him in long-term. They get him in a, at a decent AAV. He's obviously put together two really, really good offensive years back-to-back and, and had his best goal-scoring year this season. So... Like you said, a, a, a real good bit of business by a, a very smart front office. How do you handle if the or how do the Devils handle? But how would you handle the the Timo Meyer situation? Given he's got the ten million QO, you probably don't want him to outkick Jack Hughes and and Brat, especially given what he provided in the playoffs. Where look, I thought he was fine, but the bottom line wasn't there. Um, how? difficult is that going to be to get done despite the fact that they clearly have the cap space to accommodate uh, a player of his of his caliber excuse me yeah no that's i mean he was fine you're right i mean it wasn't without uh, it wasn't for a lack of trying to do something in the playoffs but i mean the lack of finish is really the issue when you're they basically made the trade for him to finish in the playoffs Mm. and, and he didn't and that's kind of a tough look I don't I, I don't know and I, I haven't really talked to anybody over there so far as like whether the playoff performance or I should say the playoff production let's call it um he colored their vision on on his long-term prospects with the team but I mean from what I gathered before the playoffs like 
they're they're not they're not looking to give him a, a ten million dollar qualifying offer for one season. Like that's just not really anything they're looking forward to. So I think what you'll you'll see is what I imagine is that they'll try to get him locked in for something longer term. They like him, I mean, and and I think that he's got a he's a, a really good piece of them moving forward as they continue to try to you know morph into a, a, a serious cup contender. Um, but I don't think they have an appetite to to hit that qualifying offer for a one year deal. Yeah, as you say, the Devils definitely trying to take that next step towards, as you say, serious cup contender. And a lot of the conversation around that and how they're going to improve often comes back to the crease. And are they going to be in on Connor Hellebuck or another goalie that might be out there uh, this summer? Do you expect them to be serious bidders for a big upgrade in net one way or the other? I do. I mean, they like Akira Schmid a lot. Um, and, and I think that they see him as a good compliment. There are still people in the organization that like Mackenzie Blackwood, but I think that the, the I mean, yeah, I mean, all you have to do is look at the goalie rotation in the playoffs to kind of understand where where he is in the in the world these days. So yeah, I think they're going to look for yet another solution in the crease. Um, you know, whether that means that they include Vanacek in a trade for somebody or or not, I don't know. But the, the, we mentioned the Timo Meyer deal. Like the thing you got to remember about the Devils right now is that they have got they didn't have to really give up any of their really, really blue chip guys in that trade to get Meyer, which was one of the reasons why it was so remarkable. Um, they've got they've got guys that they can move Alexander Holtz and players like that in a trade for you know a Hellebuck or um, you know whomever. So they they definitely have pieces in their organization to make something like that happen. Um, and I and I do think it's important. I mean, look, this is a a really good team, man, yeah. and they're only going to get better. And and you know they they made the Severson the decision on Severson, knowing that they've got Luke Hughes coming, knowing that they've got Simon Nemesh, who hasn't even played a game in the NHL yet. Um, they're they're loaded for bear, and, and they've certainly had the pieces to continue to continue to improve, and their cap situation is also pretty darn good right now um, in order to make that, a move in goal, too. Yeah, the Devils, they're an interesting team because, as you say, they're really good. They have the means to improve, but they've also, you can see the window projecting out three, four years, right, with the young, the youth of their players, and they're all, a lot of them are locked up now on pretty team-friendly deals. There's other teams, obviously, that are, you know, ready to win right now and maybe feel a little bit more pressure than the Devils because they don't have those things on their side. Which team would you look at around the league and you feel like is kind of under the most pressure to improve and take a real shot at winning the Stanley Cup next year? Well, it's always the Oilers. The problem is they don't have any, they don't have any ways or means to really add too much around the core that they have. Um, but I mean, you talk about window to win. I mean, <laughs> clock's ticking <laughs> on, on the uh, on the contracts for Connor and Leon. And uh, and look, they were they've been close. I mean, I, I you know they unfortunately ran into a team that that really kind of you know found its form in the playoffs. I think this playoff then obviously made the the conference finals last year um, there, there, but there's a tremendous amount of pressure to make something happen there and to, and to get it right and to figure out what's, what's the right situation to have in goal and all that stuff, because you, you've got to win something with those two on the roster at some point. And I really thought it was going to be this year, but um, to me, it's the answer. The answer is always going to be Edmonton. And then I guess right behind them in, and again, like the, the clock is ticking even louder is probably Pittsburgh, but, that's a funny situation. I was talking to somebody earlier today um, about Kyle Dubas and, and him going there. And, and, and the most interesting thing that they said in the, that press conference was that he was the guy that's going to be in place not only to build around Sid and, and Latang and Malkin, but also to transition them into the next thing. And 
to me, that's when you start talking about the next thing, I think that's a tacit admission that you don't think that the current thing is ever going to work. I think they can be competitive. I think they can make some real waves in, in using their cap space to um, have teams, you know, ship out players that they need to in order for them to get under the cap. Like they're going to be competitive, but when you bring in someone to kind of like transition the team to the, to a post Crosby Penguins, I think that's an admission that, you know, you kind of in the back of your mind, don't expect there to be a cup in the next couple of years. Greg, you brought up Connor Hellebuck's name on Twitter. I know it was tongue-in-cheek. I responded to it tongue-in-cheek. I think there's some people in our, both of our mentions who didn't understand that. But just to circle back to the Devils, what what do you think is the likelihood that they go really big game hunting in goal given the progressive bent of that front office and yet how evident it is uh, sort of what the Achilles heel of this team is. Well, I think it's, I think there's a high probability only because of, of how many incredible goalies are available. I mean, depending, you guys mm. know better than me about Demko, but like if Demko is available, if Hellebuck's available, cause he certainly looks like he's going to be UC Soros, his name has come up a ton around Nashville in, in the sense of like how much he could bring back in a trade versus, you know, if they really need, I mean, and, and we know what's coming for them in goal with, with Astroff who's going to be fantastic. John Gibson, I mean, you know, depending on what your mileage is with John Gibson, I mean, is another name that's going to be on the market. So the, the probability of them landing someone, it, to me, is pretty high. One, because they've got the, the, the capital to trade, but two, because it just seems like for whatever reason, there's going to be a number of goalies that could be available via the trade market this offseason um, more so than, than I can remember uh, as far as like guys that are in their prime. With Vegas in particular, and you wrote a great piece on the idea of the Golden Knights as a disruptor over, over at ESPN. If there's one lesson, and in some ways, because this is an expansion team and they've gone about this in such a different way, uh, it's not like this is the product of a rebuild or a retool or, you know, they don't fit neatly into the like roster construction boxes that we're used to. But if there's one sort of lesson that you draw from the Golden Knights, you know, hoisting the cup this week, uh, what is it? What, what should teams be keeping in mind? No, I think rostering instruction is the thing. I mean, first of all, like, I know that there's a constant debate about do you need a number one defenseman or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm, the, I'm of the mind that you do. I'm of the, I'm of the mind that, that if you don't have two guys on that Petrangelo, Theodore kind of tip, if you don't have a Hedman McDonough, like if you don't have two guys that can eat up well over two-thirds of the game, um, then I, I'm not necessarily looking at you as a, as a, as a real cup favorite. I, I think that's, that's kind of where the league is right now. And the other thing, too, I was talking to William Carrier about this. Um, one of the reasons why the Knights worked is because everyone kind of knew their role and, and played it extraordinarily well. And, uh, you know, I, there's some teams that miscast. There's some teams that go hunting for players based on, you know, name value or based on what they could do. And then they end up in roles where it's an ill fit. And, and I, I think one of the things with George McPhee, and I do credit McPhee more than Kelly McCrimmon. For the record, I, I think it's a McPhee team. I think what, what they were able to do really well is, is kind of like 
casts that team really well. That fourth line is a fourth line. You know what I mean? Like mm. the third line has got guys that are definitely bottom six players and, and know what they do well. I, I, I've always, I think one of the reasons why Vegas won is it's a team that it, it knows exactly what it is. And, uh, and I, I put a lot of value on that. Talking to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Uh, sticking in the Pacific Division, which, I, by the way, I think is going to shape up to be pretty difficult between Vegas, Edmonton, and then the kind of second tier of L.A., uh, Seattle, and Calgary. And I, I wanted to ask you about the Flames because, you know, there's been so much talk about, hey, you know, Craig Conroy doesn't want to get burned again with uh, losing a pending UFA for nothing like Johnny Gaudreau, and could that lead them to kind of move some core players this summer? But I also look at it, you know, this is a team that has Jonathan Huberdeau and Nazem Kadri and Mackenzie Wieger under contract for the long term. They're still, to me, seems like they should very much be in win-now mode. That's a really difficult uh, needle to thread sometimes. How do you see things playing out in Calgary this summer? Well, I think, I think Hannafin's probably done there personally. Just, you know, being around the final and, and talking to some people, I get the sense that his time there is probably done. The little thing is a little bit trickier. Uh, I talked to some people that don't think he's going to be there, you know, and then I talked to some people that think that he might uh, extend with, with the flames. So those are the two names that you, you hear most of all as far as their future in Calgary. But again, I, I come back to the, to the idea of like, it's, it's hard to figure out what the path forward is for this team because Rare is the team where, like, you're, you built a, a solar system and then the sun gets extinguished when Gaudreau <laughs> and Kachuk are gone. You know what I mean? Now, now you've just got a bunch of cold planets uh, circling about, and, and that's kind of what the flames remain. I mean, all, all due respect to Huberto, all due respect to Kadri and, and the other guys in that roster, but I mean, like, the, the team was built around two stars that are no longer there. Uh, and, and I think that's a really difficult thing to 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 kind of like wrap your head around. I mean, I think you could be really good and competitive, but can you win a cup when you are basically a supporting cast in search of a star? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because you just look at their roster and you think they should be pretty good. But as you said, there's all, there's some obvious questions that, uh, that really need to be answered as well. Uh, one of the other things that I'm going to be watching this summer is just the number of, big-name players that are eligible for extensions, whether they're RFAs, whether they're UFAs. We're paying attention to Elias Pettersson out here, and I know the big one is Austin Matthews with the Leafs. And with Austin Matthews specifically, I mean, obviously that has a huge impact on what the Leafs do, but if he, again, kind of demures from taking a a long-term contract and signs short-term, like what kind of league-wide ramifications could that have if Matthews again kind of flexes his muscles and and signs a short-term extension? I'll I'll answer a question with a question. How many other guys signed five-year deals after he signed his? Not that many. Like none. None. (laughs) I I, I really really thought that him and and his his agent, Chad Moldaver, had really kind of like – change the rules and, and, and change the game with that contract. I thought it was brilliant. I'm like, Oh my God, you're, you're taking back your freedom. You know, you're, you're securing the bag, but you're, but you're taking back your freedom and, and no longer do these people have to sign an eight year extension because that time to do so. And I really thought that he was going to be kind of like waving the, the, the flag as a labor leader. And then nobody did it. <laughs> like nobody followed suit. Everybody was still signing eight year deals. And so, so my answer to that is I, I think it's going to be great for Matthews, uh, ultimately. I mean, who knows? By that time, maybe the Coyotes have an arena, and he can go there 
that would be their savior after a five-year deal. But, like, but like, I don't think it's going to have any ramifications league-wide because the last one he did didn't, didn't move the needle at all for anybody else. But the thing about Matthews is that, and, and, and I, I, you know, I think it's become kind of consensus. He's going to stay there. He's going to stay there probably for a five-year term, and he's going to make, like, a dollar more than McKinnon. Is, is kind of like <laughs> the, the the NHL echo chamber has has put forth this to be the the notion about Matthews's next contract is that that's the duration and and all all, all they want to do is be able to crow about being the highest paid player in the league but but not necessarily go max contract. Greg sticking in the idea of term shorter term deals than we're used to. One thing that we've been talking about a lot especially in the wake of the Gavrikov two-year deal, is this sort of gold star hockey plan where a couple of players in Andre Kuzmenko and Gavrikov coming off, you know, in Kuzmenko's case, potentially a career year, 25% shooting clip, and in Gavrikov's case, you know, a really strong playoff run, uh, decided to go short. Like decided to go short despite having profiles of the sort of guy you might expect to cash in. Um, do you think we see that replicated this summer, given the odd dynamics with the you know one more year flat cap and then an elevator season up to uh, recurrent cap growth awaiting us twelve months from now? It'd be smart. It'd be smart to do that. Um, will we see more players do it? Uh, probably only because. When you look at this free agent class, I mean, how many guys are really there that are going to be worth giving five years to or six years to? Like, mm-hmm. I think you're, you might see a lot of a lot of deals that are going to be more short term, both what the player wants and, and what the team wants. Um, but again, like knowing where the cap is now, knowing where it was three years ago, knowing where it's going to hopefully be in a couple of years, it'd be silly to lock yourself into a situation when you can probably. Uh, if you, I mean, as, as long as you're still a viable player and as as, as hot a commodity as you are now, um, you're going to do pretty well for yourself in two years. And you had a tweet about the strength of the free agent <laughs> class or lack thereof. I can't say it verbatim, so I would recommend people check it out. But safe to say, executives are looking at the list of free agents much like hockey fans intent on seeing their team improve rapidly perusing the list of UFAs on cap friendly and, and uh, you know, digging into their bag of curse words. Um, What does the free agent quote unquote frenzy look like this summer? Well, the executive said that it's blankety awful is is the way that they framed it for me. And, uh, and they, they're probably right. I mean, like, it's not great. I mean, you look at specifically like, you know, say like you, you're in the market for a right-handed defenseman, right? I mean, like you look at there's a, a couple of people at the top of that list, and then all of a sudden you're getting down into, you know, veteran players that, I mean, are, are at best third-pairing guys at this stage in their career. You know, Patrick Kane not being healthy, you know, d- diminishes the class even more. Um, it's it's not great for teams like, for example, the Penguins that have a ton of cap space to work with. And, and normally that would mean finding some solutions in the UFA market, but it's just like such a bad market that even if you're looking for bottom six help, I mean, there's it, not a lot of help there. So 
the, the general sense you get is, is what we were talking about before about the idea that the, the class next summer, it could be a bumper mm. crop depending mm. on how many guys are either signed or not signed after July 1st. But this group here, I mean, like if you are, if you're looking for solutions in the UFA market, you're, you're going to be overpaying for one of the top 10 guys because once you get beyond that, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty bleak class this year. Well, I'm very excited to do four hours of live radio about uh, where JT Comfer will sign on July 1st. I'm looking forward to that <laughs> one, Wish. <laughs> Thank, thanks for doing this, man. We always appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That is Greg Wyshynski of ESPN covering the NHL there, joining us right off the top uh, for Canucks Talk. Uh, yeah, only half an hour into the show. We started late today, so we're on till 3 o'clock. As I mentioned, uh, there is some more Ethan Bear news to talk about, so we will get into that on the other side. You can get your thoughts and questions in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. More Canucks Talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650. There we go. We're back. Welcome back to Knox Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd, Thomas Rance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Lots to get into Today, uh, we are on until 3 o'clock, started a little later today because of the Jays game, uh, and we will start with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday when it was reporting from Rick Dollywell, but today the Canucks uh, on their Twitter page, General Manager Patrick Alvin announced today that defenseman Ethan Bear underwent successful shoulder surgery. Uh, Bear was injured at the IIHF World Championship and is expected to be out for six months which you know yesterday we were talking about a four to five month timeline potentially the Canucks phrase it as a six month timeline for Ethan Bear you do the math and if it is six months you're looking at mid-December which could be up to 30 games of the Canucks season Drancer again a really really tough blow for Ethan Bear but also just something that makes an already very complicated very challenging off-season for the Canucks specifically relating to their blue line, that much more challenging to solve now. So we talked a lot about bell curves in our last segment yesterday, and I think the fact, and this is a fact, this injury is a blow for the Canucks. I mean, it's it's tough for Ethan Bear too, and we hope mm-hmm. that the surgery, well, we're glad to hear that the surgery was successful, Wish him all the best on his recovery. Mm -hmm. The timing of this is wildly inconvenient from a player's perspective, obviously. But this Canucks team, I mean, you look at what this means, the the butterfly or domino effect from this injury, and it's wide-ranging. I mean, this is a player who very possibly could have taken line rushes in game one. On Quinn Hughes's right side. I, th- this that, is a, that would have been the odds-on favorite spot for him to start, no doubt about it. For sure. Uh, this is a player who, for sure, at year's end, we would have penciled in as, like, minus 500 to be among the four Canucks defensemen that logs the most five-on-five five minutes mm-hmm. this upcoming season. That's not an easy piece to replace, especially given Vancouver's cap situation and then once you get into the internal options, I mean, you did it a little bit yesterday. You were like, 
Cole McGuire, Jet Wu, and I was like, are we there? Like, I was well, so grumpy about it. And your answer, like, that's <laughs> – if you're talking like, hey, you know, Ethan Bear's going to be back last week of October, and we need Jet Wu to fill in, you know, seven games at the start of the season before Ethan Bear's back, that's one thing. If you're talking about Ethan Bear missing, like, 25 to 30 games, that's a completely different discussion when you're talking about a guy who, or, or any player, right? If it's Wu, McWard, Johansson, who have – you know, the most of them, Cole McWard has extraordinarily limited NHL experience, right? So to me, yep. that's a, it's a very, very different conversation now if you're talking about internal options. And yet, you know, to some extent, a six-month absence is, you know, and I want to be delicate about how I frame this, but it's somewhat easier to manage from a roster perspective than a, we're not sure how long mm. he'll be absent at the start of the season. Is he even an option to go on LTI? How does this work? Like, in some ways, from a, you know, nuts and bolts, day-to-day -day roster management perspective, knowing that this is a longer-term thing actually gives you some relief from a planning perspective, right? You, you really can't just Band-Aid this. You need Ethan Bear to be the sort of luxury item that he really should be given, you know, the fact that he's like competent, fine. Yeah. Right. Like that's who he is. And that's great. Like he's, he does some things exceptionally well, specifically retrievals, but it, you know, <sighs> uh, lost your answer there for a second. We'll get him reconnected, but we're just talking about the Ethan bear injury and as Drancer's saying you know it's the six-month thing is fascinating right because you absolutely it, this can't be a band-aid solution right like again like it could have been if you thought he was going to get back uh sometime in the month of October and you say okay we'll just find a way to make it work until he's back now you really have to have a solid plan that you are confident about to start the season and to tide you over until, until Ethan Bear is back, I think a huge part of the context here is we all know, we all know as we get Drancer back in on the conversation, I was just going to say, Drancer, like a huge part of this conversation to me is we all know what the stakes are for this team getting off to a good start. Right. Like this is not a team that's, you know, perennial playoff team. And hey, we'll 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 muddle through the first couple of months and then we'll hit our stride in January and make a push like this is a team that needs to be firing on all cylinders in October and November and December. And it's going to be difficult to do that if you have Ethan Bear on his qualifying offer sitting out for those months. Really difficult. And I think there's. A global point to be made which is should you be prioritizing the short term if the reasonable reaction to Ethan Bear lost for six months is that's kind of it for them or like that's going to be brutal. That's a devastating loss. Mm -hmm. And like if you're looking at the loss of Ethan Bear and saying, man, that is a big blow for the Canucks, I think you're right. Like it's a huge loss. But if you're a team in those circumstances, like, you shouldn't be in a playoff or bust posture. You shouldn't have this upcoming offseason be an all-in offseason. You don't have enough because injuries happen, right? Like, you're going to lose guys. Mm -hmm. you, if you're on a knife's edge, if your path <laughs> to, to the playoffs requires everything to go your way, requires, you know, the – 
right side of the bell curve sort of outcome on everybody, you're not good enough. And, and I do think that's a really important grounding on this conversation. I, I want to talk about this too. You mentioned the qualifying offer. Yep. You know, I wonder... Oh, I don't even wonder. I don't know that it makes sense to qualify. Him. I, I don't like, know. That, I just. I honestly don't know that you can. I don't know if you can have, given the salary cap situation of this team, a two point two million salary that you know or you have a very good idea you're not going to you be able to use until the middle of December. I, I, yeah. I really just don't know if you can. I, I think it's, hey, we love you. We want you to yep. be part of our future. Let's do. You know, we're not going to qualify you, but we're we're going to work something. Doing we're going to work something. One point five times one. Uh, you know, it'll start the year on LTI. 1.5, you can fit into the mix relatively easily, right? You just reassign a guy to the American League. And if you have to bury another contract, so be it. Um, you know, I, I think that's sort of the best outcome here from a Canucks perspective. And that's a tough blow, obviously, for the player. And yet, you know, if you're a right-handed defenseman, you know, you probably rather have the injury happen this year than next. Mm. You know, like from Ethan Bear's perspective, right? You're still, you're going to have a tough recovery. You're going to come into next season cold, having missed out on the summer and training camp. That's mm -hmm. not ideal. But, you know, given the state of this roster, given your skill set, you're still going to get opportunity. Uh, you played well this past season. Uh, so, you know, I think that's probably the best outcome here for both sides is a, a one-year agreement that's lower than the sort of qualifying offer or, um, you know, not qualifying offer, but agreement on a, on a one-year deal that the sides might have come to prior to the surgical procedure. Uh, now my, my like strong expectation, if I was handicapping it, is Canucks find a way to do a deal prior to uh, the qualifying offer deadline here. Um, and don't qualify them if they can't. Yeah, because again, it's just, and I, I hate discussing injuries to players in these terms of like the leverage and their power in the market and all of that. But if you don't, like, if he became a UFA, this severely limits his market and what teams would be willing to pay, right? The fact that he's not going to be back in December. So it, complete, it does completely change uh, how the Canucks are going to approach this situation. And I mean, that's one element of it, right? That there's a good chance they won't qualify him now. They'll try to get him on a lower number. That's part of it. You know, I think when can they expect not just to have him back in the lineup, but him to be at something approaching 100% on the ice, right? Because as you say, he's going to be coming in cold. He's going to miss training camp in the summer. That's tough mm -hmm. to get up and running in the middle of the season. So it, it might not just be he's back on December 15th and he's, you know, the Ethan Bear we saw last year, there could be a ramp-up period there, which is significant. And then, you know, I think the other big part of it for me is, okay, we go from this team wanting to add one quality defenseman, right, who, you know, could play on the penalty kill and, and help them out in that way, defensively able, with very limited cap space and very limited assets. And now they probably have to add another, right? They have to add another option of some sort to compensate for the loss of Ethan Bear. Uh, Chet and Burnaby text in, does a 30-game Bear absence get Kyle Burroughs a contract here? Burroughs is a UFA. That's something I wondered about as well. Is that is that a player they take a longer look at now because they know there's going to be an opportunity? But the question is also, like – are you if you think this is a playoffs or bust year internally for the team, are you comfortable relying on a Kyle Burroughs type player to fill those 30 games for you? Or do you think you have to do something else? 
Well, I mean, let's be real here. Kyle Burrows was one of Vancouver's four best defensemen last season from game one through game 82. I think Kyle Burrows being a local kid, uh, I think Kyle Burrows would be open to remaining in Vancouver despite, you know, his usage. Probably not, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. reflecting the level of his play. I mean, look at all the defensemen who played games ahead of him last year and didn't play well at all. Um, You know, this organization's reluctance to to really scratch some of their big money guys who struggled mightily last season and and not play Burroughs, who was, you know, never not competent, right? Like, never cheated you in terms of effort. Mm -hmm. Um, So, despite all of that, which would usually result in us being like, that player is going to leave. I do think there's a window for this team to, you know, pull Kyle Burroughs out of the market and keep him in his hometown. And yet, given his size, given Vegas's success, but also given Rick Tockett's stylistic preferences and what we know about Alvin and Rutherford, I would suspect that Noah Juleson... Mm. is the guy who I'd sort of underline and and look at as the more likely righty who was potentially poised to hit unrestricted for agency but but may no longer as a result of um you know the the uncertainty now lingering around bear and and of course you've also got uh Juleson and Bear represented um by the same agent Jason Davidson of uh, Thunder Creek Management. So uh, that's sort of something, too, where it's like, we're not going to qualify him. Let's do a one-year deal. We still want him to be part of our future. Come back. You know, work hard on your recovery. Conditioning stint in December. Back in the lineup by Christmas. Yeah. Play well. We'll do an extension in February. Like, that's the plan here. And let's get Noah Juleson back in the fold. And it's one call. (laughs) One call, one conversation, one plan. It's just that I think for us... Analyzing the team objectively, you know, I, I think we look at it askance and just sort of wonder, like, man, you know, eh, first of all, this team didn't have enough on the right side without Bear, mm-hmm. uh, or sorry, with Bear. Without him, man, this gets really dicey really fast, and we all know it. And and now all of a sudden, we're really looking at, you know, can Jet Wu step up? Not as a nice to have. But it's something that, like, they're probably going to need. Yeah. You know, you're you're going to need him or, or Johansson, right? Like, you're going to need one of those guys to be able to give you games and not just at a replacement level, but, like, at a useful, competent level, right? Like, fine. <laughs> you have to be fine. And fine is, I, I mean, it might not sound like praise, but when I say Ethan Bear's a fine option in the top four, like, that means I think he's good, yeah. <laughs> right? Like that means I think he's really good. Uh, there's been a lot of defensemen who played top four minutes for the Canucks over the past few seasons, who I wouldn't say have been fine. So, you know, it, it's a big loss, and it really does amp up the pressure on a system that doesn't have a lot in it. Well, and that's I, that's the thing, right? Ideally, in a healthy system, you'd want the Jet Wu and Philip Johansson and certainly Cole McWard to be your like deep depth pieces in Abbotsford for next year, right? And you, you're they're they're playing a lot in Abbotsford and they're developing and there may be an option if you need them for the call up for you know a couple of games in February, but they're not figuring to be significant pieces of your plan. And you know, Rager Texan, this is the exact reason why the Canucks not drafting a defenseman in the first two rounds of the draft since Quinn Hughes 
is absolutely abhorrent because there should be a prospect ready to fill in. And you're definitely feeling mm. that lack of system depth here. I'll say another player that this has ramifications for. Now, I don't think he was going to be gone by the opening of the season anyways, but Tyler Myers, right? Like, if you thought the plan was, hey, pay his bonus in, in September and then try to find a taker for him, I mean, you they're going to need Tyler Myers. He's he's their second right-hand defenseman right now who's going to be healthy after Philip Ronick. So he's going to be asked to play a much bigger role, right? And all of a sudden you just see, you know, it's such a tricky injury because it's not even like it opens up all of this flexible cap space for them, maybe a little bit if his number's a little bit lower, but you're going to be relying more heavily on guys like Tyler Myers, maybe a guy like Noah Juleson, you know? Like, it, what does this mean even? I know it's on the other side, but for a guy like OEL's minutes, and it's really putting the pressure on the rest of the Canucks defense core. <laughs> no, we're in June. It's June 15th, and we're already starting to talk about the injuries and guys getting pushed up the lineup. So let me do a classic sports talk radio thing. Uh, although it's also a classic HF boards thing. All okay? right. Okay. These are not trades that I would have suggested before we had a sense of Bears injury. And I want to be clear. These aren't trades I'm banging the drum for. Okay. I so have, much as like, you do one as an interesting. I have one for you too. So you do one first okay, and then cool. I'll throw one at you. Okay. Well, I, I, and I mean, I, I had a few that I was going to okay. go through. So we'll, we'll go back and forth. Yeah. But. Would you do, or would you at least consider in the wake of Bears injury, something like parting with, and it's going to be painful. Mm -hmm. I want to warn you in advance. Vasily Podkolzin for Kalen Addison. Uh, yes, I would. I would consider that. It's tough, and I, and I know there's questions about Kalen Addison and is he the type of defenseman they need on the blue line, but there's questions, like, let's be honest, we can all, I, we all like Vasily Podkolz, and I certainly do, but there's questions about his ultimate upside as well. We have to be honest with that. So I'm not, like, I'd have to dig into it and stuff, but I don't think that should be an off-the-board ridiculous type of idea here. Not at all. Uh, to me, yeah, that's, I mean that's a, you know, a prospect at a position you've got a lot of them at. For a prospect with flaws, they're both flawed prospects with questions, but at a position that you need more of. I, I, I would be open to something like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that makes me queasy. No, again, look, I'd have to think about it more and like Addison's older and all that, but I, I think there's at least, you know, he also had 30 points almost in 62 games for the Wild last year, right? Like, Sure, but 11 at five on five. Sure. And again, that's where I get to, you know, the questions about the profile and is is it a redundancy with Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick here? Is that really? But how much, how many, how often have we talked about like, but you also just need to be adding value. And is he mm. more likely to have greater value than Vasily Podkolzin going forward? I think given the position, I think you could make an argument for that, right? So if something like that is on the table, it fills a bit of a need for you. And maybe it increases the value going forward. Again, I'm not saying it's like a slam dunk, no doubter or anything like that. I'm not banging the drum to trade Vasily Podkolzin, but I, I think there's at least something you have to discuss and you have to consider. Um, yeah. The one it was, just, uh, it was just a hard one. Like one that, you know, I was thinking like, who could you go get? And I went and pulled up the athletics trade board and I was mm. like, eh. So, you know, Kalen Addison drafted by the Penguins. I have Vasily Podkolzin. an interesting one. Um, you know, Judd Brackett, there's a, there's an interesting parallels there. Yep. I have, uh, I have one that you're going to hate. And again, this is not even one that I'm I can't saying, wait. Like, would be amazing, but I, this is something that I would not be su surprised at all to see happen. Connor Garland 
for Jan Ruda. Ruda has two years at 2.75 left. The Penguins have cap space. Not a lot of good free agents to spend it on. I think it would be fair to guess that Kyle Dubas might be interested in Connor Garland. Doesn't want Jan Ruda on the books, probably. The Canucks need a right-shot defenseman. Again, I'm not saying it would be an amazing trade. Good God, man. But you, you, can you deny that's, Can you deny that it's a potential trade? It's absolutely a possible trade. That's ugly. That's gross. But you see what I'm talking Ew. about. You see what I'm talking about, though. I told you you weren't going to like it. No I, no, I don't just not like it. I'm like considering pulling off my headphones and just like storming off if it's um, if, if you're not retaining on garland you're opening up more than two million of cap space and a year less of term on ruda yeah and you're adding a sixth defenseman sweet <laughs> it's not even like value like, I, and i like yan ruda i mean the one thing about yan ruda is you can plug him next to quinn hughes this is what i'm saying yeah this is what i'm but, saying he's the new he's the new luke shen for two years oh man i'd, I'd honestly I'd honestly almost rather like the cap savings too are what two million, just a little bit above two million, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I almost would rather you try and get Petrie or something. Like try and get a better player, try and get someone who, try and get someone who can play more than third pair minutes unless they're with Quinn Hughes. If you're trading someone like Garland, I'm just saying. Oh open, man, uh, like I hate that so much. <laughs> I was really, it. and I'm like a big Yan Ruda guy, but I was really not, excited not to at run that it. price. I was really excited to run it past you because I knew you would hate it, and I also think it's like if I could bet on like one trade <laughs> this summer, that that is the one I would bet on. I think there's a Ugh. lot of a lot of connections that make sense there. Uh, and as you said, like plug Yuck. him with Quinn Hughes again. You you open up a tiny little bit of cap space, but would you rather do that or would you rather trade a future second round pick to move Connor Garland? I'll be honest with you, it's it's better than my, like, if that's the trade that I, like, genuinely am fearful of, mm -hmm. like, genuinely fearful of, is, like, Garland Hoaglander to Pittsburgh, right? As they, like, add some speed and forwards to their, their lineup, like, freshen up their forward group. Mm -hmm. and uh, And I do think Garland makes a lot of sense there, given... You know, he's a righty. Mm -hmm. He can he can do some transporting work for Evgeny Malkin. That makes sense in my in my mind's eye. Um, but for like Granland and like Pierre Olivier Joseph or something. No. Right? Like that's yeah. the trade that I fear the most. No, that that I am the Granland is an absolute no go for me. I mean, I mean, like it all depends, right? If they're giving you assets or something, then it's a different conversation. But like, Well, they're giving you Pierre Olivier Joseph. Yeah. Don't know about that. <laughs> Don't know. Grenland's a center. One. Oh yeah, definitely a really effective center at this stage <laughs> of his career. I I, I do think he's going to bounce back. He's not as bad as he looked in Pittsburgh. He's become a punchline, but like he's not. He's. He's not that bad. Yeah, I still uh, I, I still don't want it. Uh, reaction split to my idea. This one, uh, too far, Jamie, too far. Uh, but Snoop the Agreed. Dog says, when there's talk about buying out Garland, Garland for a skater equals success. Bring no, on no, Ruda. No, no, no. That's, that's from Snoop that's the, dog. the same. That's the same thing that people are like thinking about Granland. And like Garland's way better than that. But it's like, just because Garland doesn't have trade value doesn't mean he's not good. Like, he has 78. 78 five-on-five five points in mm -hmm. his two Vancouver seasons. Do you know how many JT Miller has? Hey, dude, you know I agree. You Do know you know how many JT Miller <laughs> many has? Just JT answer Miller the question. Have? 78! The same number! 
Like, I swear, people. Um, look, in look, Garland's Gar- first season, in Garland's first season, he had 47 five-on-five points. Do you know who had 47 five-on-five points for the Canucks this year? Who? Andre Kuzmenko. Look, man, if the choices are give up an asset, right, buy out Garland, or do Garland for Yan Ruda, and again, it's $2 million of cap space no. and, a, and a year less of term, sorry, it's an sorry, easy what choice. What if your, options, it's an what easy if your choice. options are don't make a bad move? Is that okay? Can I suggest, like, how about just not make a bad move? I would love to live in that world. I would love to live in that world. But look, what? Like, they're going to try to move Connor. I'm going to keep yelling they're, until we live in that world. Go- <laughs> I'm just going to keep yelling until it happens. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Badly. You see a lot of progress on that one. <laughs> no, but I'm gonna keep doing it oh man <laughs> uh 650 650 is the dumbbar lumber text line uh, todd has bad take says trade suggestion all of the canucks 2023 picks for will borgen uh that is from todd <laughs> thank you thank you todd has bad takes, which is fantastic uh but yeah you can i mean you can send in your uh, your trade ideas we can go through some i know you have some more to throw at me as well Dran, so we can get into that uh because we are officially here in the off season, and it is time to speculate and uh, and play armchair GM, which is very very exciting. More Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net 650 50 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Brandon in Vancouver text injury answer. He's with you. He says, I have a one-up on Jamie Garland for Jeff Petrie at 50% retained. Petrie has mm. Petrie has no move protection also, at least some form. Uh, I think it's like a 15-team no-trade clause. So Got it. That's tough. That's tough. And then I don't, I'm not sure Pittsburgh's retaining if they're moving, uh, if they're moving Petrie. So everyone's just got to lower their standards like me forget forget yeah. about jeff petrie and move on to well, yan ruda <laughs> we, and we've got we've got some suggestions uh, about trading draft picks for andrew peak and dylan coughlin yeah and it's like yeah i mean i guess if the price is right i you know the i yeah I don't trade draft capital for andrew <laughs> peak come on yeah uh yes um another one that comes in i'll give you a chance to run some of yours past me again but uh, a couple people oh no i'm i'm done oh, I'm, okay. these, these all make me sick <laughs> i put you i i, I like to ruin your appetite with the garland for ruda suggestion i think so yeah because you know that how, was like you know how right i am that's why yeah you, you know that was like opening up a pizza box and it's like crawling you know like a horror movie it's like yeah uh, just remember, remember where you heard it first. Remember my where reaction you heard it like, first. 
my reaction's like, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's face at the end of Seven opening <laughs> the box. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of people have brought up uh, Neil Pionk, right shot defenseman out of Winnipeg. I don't know. I mean, Winnipeg. He had a brutal year, but yeah. he is good. And it sounds I'm like. a big fan. It sounds like they're going to trade everyone else, but not him. I don't know. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> how, how, how much. How much. Um, how much action is there going to be actually in Winnipeg? Like, if you're trading, Con- not Connor, but Sheafley and Wheeler and uh, and Hellebuck and Dubois, like, how many big-time moves are they actually going to make? But, I mean, I will say, you know, he's not exactly cheap, necessarily, like, just a hair under $6 million, So And he's coming off a really bad year. Coming off a really year. bad year. If there's, like, and, and, again, the thing with Winnipeg that we always know is – not a rebuild, not a rebuild, not a rebuild. We want players, right? And as you always say, they need to trap players. They're they're not afraid of players with a little bit of term. So, you know, somebody suggested, like, something built around Besser and Pionk. Who knows if they're still trying to move Besser. Uh, Garland. I don't know. I actually – I don't sure, – it's not, sure. not a name I've, heard, I, I've thought of before, but I don't hate it. In terms of hockey trades, you know, like committed money out, committed money in. Yeah. You could do worse, yeah. but I, I suspect there's a bunch of teams that if Winnipeg was willing to eat salary back, um, would be willing to hold a Pionk bounce back lottery ticket, uh, particularly if it was relatively cap neutral with them taking back deals. So, you know, uh, look, it's going to be really tough. And this is again where your overall optionality is just challenged, right? You, you can't solve problems if you don't have draft capital, right? Like Dylan Coughlin for a fifth round pick. It's like, okay, you know, that's not offensive to me by any means, but also can you really afford if you're the Canucks to be sending out draft capital to put a bandaid on your team now because of the Ethan bear injury, or do you need to like try to build the sort of hockey team where losing Ethan Bear doesn't destroy you, right? Like, and it's one thing, too, to have a bunch of excess picks so that when you give up a fifth for or a third for Dylan Coughlin, it's not devastating. But, you know, Vancouver, given the checklist status that we often go over, mm-hmm. like, you know, trading a mid-round pick, all of a sudden, in the wake of a season in which you spent almost all of it in the bottom five of the NHL by point percentage, you come out of it with no surplus picks whatsoever, not like a single surplus pick. It's like, that's, that's not good. That's a problem. So, you know, it's hard for me to get excited about any of these options. Like no matter what they do to replace it, it's going to be from the back foot. They, they don't have the ability to easily solve problems and and that's why for me, like my first suggestion was to go after a, you know, young guy using at least like there's one thing I think you can sort of look at and be like the Canucks kind of have a surplus here and it's wingers. Yep. And yet I only really think one of them would return anything of value and it's the guy who's got the most unique profile, right? That's Pod Colson. Uh, yeah. So, you know, e- either way, like your options just are always bad. If your pawn wall is not well-structured, right, all of your moves are reactionary, defensive. Um, it's hard to put the pressure on anyone else. 
Yeah, somebody brought up uh, like Dante Fabro again, kind of in that mold and suggesting like a Niels Hoaglander. I'm not sure that gets it done for Dante Fabro. I do, I do think Nashville is an interesting team just based for on Niels Hoaglander. Yeah. Um, I I actually think that's not far off value wise. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I love that move, but like again, with, Nash- yeah. with Nashville's perspective, is that something that they uh, would be interested in? And uh, Versanga Torix, excuse me, uh, says this injury to Bear likely strengthens the chances of Vancouver going after a defenseman in this year's draft. Perhaps choosing one they believe they could hit that could hit the ice running. You're not getting a defenseman who can step in at 11, right? You're no. not getting a defenseman in this draft at all, probably, who can step in right away. It's very, very rare for um, even a, a, an extraordinarily highly picked defenseman to step right into the NHL and have success. So I don't think this will change their draft strategy whatsoever. The strategy for the rest of the summer, sure, you're going to have to react to it in some way. Uh, but I don't think it changes what they do at 11 whatsoever. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can keep your thoughts coming in. And, um, you know, as we, like, I, I will say, I was one of the things I was thinking about, and this is stuff we've touched on before, but, you know, we're here in the off season, and, like, what are the actual big questions, the kind of checklist things, the big priorities we're watching for with the Vancouver Canucks this summer? And, you know, to your point about optionality, one of them for me is... And this is related to the, you know, how much cap space can they clear and all that, but just how much turnover, player turnover, are we actually going to see? And again, this relates to the point about, you know, it's really hard to disassemble this team because I think there's, certainly from a fan's perspective, there's an appetite for a significant degree of turnover. And you can look at a lot of spots on the roster and say there are obvious positions where they could improve. But especially if you take, you know, Brock Besser off the board and you say, okay, he's probably going to be here. The list of players from last year who are like regular players that you could actually see moving before the season, it's very, very short. And given that, you know, I think it's going to be the, the roster is going to look a lot more similar to what it did last year, I expect, than maybe we would have thought, you know, midway through last season when things were really going off the rail. Yeah, well, so the player turnover thing is a fascinating discussion for me because I do think we're going to have some. I think we have to. But but it's, um, like I agree, but then you look at the salary cap sheet and you start to think like, okay, who's – because people got to go out. You know what I mean? People got to go out yeah. to, to make room for the new people coming in. They've got Although a lot of people not qualifying Bear, If you're not qualifying Bear, you've got, you know – that's 2.2 that we've sort of been factoring in mm-hmm. to to what or budgeting for them, right? So that's you know some some money to play with. Um, you know, maybe maybe you grind down Hoaglander a little harder on his QO, and all of a sudden you at least can do like a 1.5 million dollar center and a 1.5 million dollar defenseman. And maybe if the cost of moving money in a flat cap offseason, a final flat cap offseason, and by the way, like. I've been polling people trying to get a sense of it, right? Like, w- would JT Miller have positive trade value? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, clearly we, we kind of know that at least the Pittsburgh front office, if not necessarily uh, <laughs> the ownership group, was willing to pay. So yep. he, he did have some. 
but I, I've heard mixed reviews on that, right? Like some teams, some people believe that Miller will have value because he's a point per game player. He can play center. He can play wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can literally go into 27 teams in the league and be the guy who runs the power play. And, you know, I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's not, um, that's not a normal skill set. That's a remarkable player. So there, but there are other people who think that there'll be a cost to that, whether it's retention or, or paying just given how hard it's going to be to move cap space. Um, you know, Garland, some people think the team would be able to move him without taking, um, like, you know, just for a late round pick or something like for, um, almost no return. And other people think you'd have to pay just given how hard the flat cap uh, is going to stress out teams across the board this summer. Um, You know, we'll have to see, like, we'll, we're really going to have to wait and kind of look at how this market shapes up because so far we've really only seen the flyers use cap space Mm -hmm. without getting paid to do it. And then LA had to pay a second and a prospect uh, you know, a B prospect with a really unique profile, six foot three, right-handed defenseman in Helge Granz, uh, to get off of you know seven eight million worth of cap commitments. So, um, you know, it's it's hard to know. Like we have to see what the market looks like, but there's really split opinions even within the industry of just how crunchy it's going to be. I think if you're betting that teams are going to be really hard pressed to move money, that the cost of moving money is going to be expensive, uh, that the you know, Peterson um, sort of return there. The Peterson and um, Walker price sets the market. Like if that sets the market, it's not going to kill you to move space, but it's, you know, certainly going to leave you with a wound. Yeah. And it's the thing with trying to distinguish, you know, how much value would a Garland have? How much value would a Miller have is I, I can totally see the case in a vacuum. Let's just use JT Miller as a, as an example here, like in a vacuum that a team would look at JT Miller and say, you know what, as you laid out point per game player, really helpful on the power play, you know, we don't love the contract in term, but useful enough that we would be interested in that player and we'd be willing to pay for that player. The problem comes when, because of the flat cap, you start looking at, the teams that would make sense, that would be interested in a Miller type of player, right? Which I would say, like, a team that feels a lot of pressure to win now and is not as concerned mm. about the back half of that deal, right? So you just start to go through those teams. Like, I would say the Rangers check that box. We've heard they were interested sure. in JT Miller in the past. You know, the Rangers have just under $12 million in cap space, but only 14 players signed, right? And one of those is Ke'Andre Miller, who's going to get a big raise. And Alexi- Lafreniere. Alexi Lafreniere. So if they go out and take on the full freight of JT Miller's contract, like all of a sudden they're in an extraordinary cap bind. And yeah, okay, you can send out some money maybe in Goodrow, whatever. But like it's just even for a team that might be really, really motivated to do it for on-ice reasons and relative to a lot of other contenders has more cap space than a lot of them do, the math gets really tricky in a hurry. Like another team I was thinking about would be Dallas, you know, like – Went to the conference finals this year. Obviously, wasn't good enough to beat Vegas. Might be motivated to get better. They have less than $8 million in cap space already with, with work to yeah. do. So you're getting into a point where even teams that might really, really like a player like JT Miller and be will, and be excited about getting him on the ice, there's no simple move. You know what I mean? Every potential move you look for requires, okay, taking money back, taking a lot of money back potentially to make the cap math work for the other team. 
Yeah, it's going to stress out the ingenuity of a Canucks front office that, you know, to this point, I don't know, has shown a lot of it, right? And that's not to say that they're not going to pull a rabbit out of a hat here. Uh, I hope they do. It would give us a lot to discuss and uh, would certainly set us up for a fun season. So, you know, rooting for them. But I'm not looking at the body of work over the past 18 months and, and thinking that they've given me a lot of evidence that this is, you know, a summer that their overall approach meshes well with, right? Uh, That's one of my big reservations about this team's ability to improve itself. Yeah, and again, just looking at, like, you know, the contenders, the teams that might actually realistically be Stanley Cup contenders and also have significant cap space, and it's like Carolina, Carolina, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, if, yeah. you, if you would put them in that group, but like New Jersey's cap space is going to, that's true. I mean, it's they've gonna got be, another yeah. eight ish million dollar deal with Meyer to do. And that's, and that's if they structure it creatively front load it to, you know, give him a hat tip to his QO. I mean, that's going to be a really tricky negotiation. That's a $10 million QO. Yeah. Like that's wild. And then, you know, their priority is going to be a net. I would expect as opposed to, you know, adding another – I mean, the thing about the New Jersey Devils, too, as, like, a potential fit, like, if you watch their power play, Jack Hughes literally just, like, beaver tails yes. sometimes and skates up to whoever's got the puck and just, like, and they take, want – takes the, it from them, yeah. Pretty much. They just want the puck going through Jack Hughes, and you know what? That's how it should. That's how they should do it. It's amazing. So yeah, no, I mean, I wasn't even thinking them as like a potential JT Miller fit. Just like listing, there's only a handful of teams that are both good and have like not complicated cap situations. Carolina, Carolina values cap space differently than everyone else. Yes, right. So it's like you you do a deal with Carolina, they're going to extract a pound of flesh. That's how they do it. Um, So you know, this is. This is a chickens come home to roost summer for a lot of teams that haven't spent wisely. And the Canucks are among them. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. There's just so many difficult, uh, difficult situations around the league that I I think we're going to have to watch. Go ahead. And let me I I was listening to, um, uh, you know, our quote unquote friends, uh, Satshaw and Dan Riccio (laughs) um, (laughs) yesterday. And I thought Sat and Dan were both making a really good point, which was like priority one this summer should be the Pedersen extent. 100%. And they're right, dead on. In fact, to some extent, everything else is small potatoes because, you know, if you're me, if you have my sort of way of looking at this team, you know, I don't buy that this is a all-in summer or should be an all-in summer. I look at this as a season or an off-season anyway in which the Canucks should be really focused on... I've lost you guys. No, we can hear you. Okay, good. Don't worry. (laughs) Keep it clean. Sweet. Um, So, sorry. (laughs) I look at this as an off-season in which the Canucks should be really focused on managing the books in such a way that you can realistically open a contention window or, or a window of meaningful contention in a couple of years around 
Patterson and Hughes. Like, to me, that mm. should be the priority of this offseason. And one thing I value personally, hugely, in an effort to do that is lo- to lock in cost certainty. All right, now we've lost Trance. He was right. It was just a little bit delayed there. But we'll, we, will, uh, we will get him back uh, momentarily here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your thoughts in. As Jeff on the Island says, we might as well call it the 650-650 trade line for the rest of the offseason. We're listening to all offers. That is absolutely right. We are in peak silly season with trade speculation and trade takes. Uh, and uh, I love it, personally. I'm all here for it. Uh, Brandon in Vancouver texts in Garland for Cody CC. I think it's a good fit uh, for both, but interdivision trade seems tough. And again, you know, I, I, Edmonton is just so strapped for cash that even a you know relatively reasonable deal such as Connor Garland's, I don't know if there's going to be the appetite there to take it back. It's nothing against Connor Garland. It's just the reality when you start looking through the work teams still have to do and the limited cap space they have. It's going to be so di- so difficult for so many teams around the NHL uh, to to improve to do the things they would normally want to do in a summer without. Uh, a flat cap. Um, we're going to take a quick break here a little bit early while uh, while Drancer gets his technical issues sorted out. But I do want to dive in to the Elias Pettersson dynamic as we were just starting to there. So we will um, we'll get back, back into that and how it sets up in the summer for the Canucks and for Elias Pettersson. Again, you can get your thoughts in 650-650. More Canucks talk coming up here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Don Thomas Trance. A final segment of the show for today. We're live from the Kintech studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you. In Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, we have Drancer back after his So uh, when, when his did you lose me? Like right as you were starting just to talk about Elias Again. Patterson, like right at the beginning. Yeah, so, I mean, after after being like, I feel like they've lost me, I then get going, <laughs> you then lose me right away. Yeah, we lost you like and a I minute don't notice, after that, yeah. Yeah, and I don't notice for another four or five minutes beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> just just <laughs> ranting in a room to no one by yourself. There's nothing better than that. 100%. There's nothing better than yeah. that. I used to, when well, it, I mean... Yeah, when it was that's a normal uh, Thursday for me. <laughs> when it was um, when we were in uh, like quarantine COVID times, we would broadcast from home very often, and I I did like uh, uh, solo shows sometimes, and it's like, man, this is really weird. I'm just sitting in my living room, like yelling into a microphone. <laughs> Fred, no, no co-host. Like I'm not talking to a guest this segment. Just like ranting in my living room into a microphone, and at least there were people listening in that case. Though you just got the real unfiltered experience. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, tell me what the last thing you heard was. Uh, you were like, we can just like restart on Pedersen, is what I would say. Okay, cause... we didn't, we didn't get any, we didn't get into the real the substance of it. Basically, you were just saying you were hearing on Central that they were saying Elias Pedersen number yeah, one. Yeah, they were priority. talking about that as the priority, and that's yeah. right. Yeah, and you know, um, you know, worst person you know made a great point. Dot JPEG, and. <laughs> I love those guys. I don't even know why I'm preparing. <laughs> um, 
and and I definitely love Ruby and her and her insistence on, on shopping, shopping for the best yes. price. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is if you're the Canucks, locking in Patterson and having cost certainty on Patterson, because when we're talking about Patterson, we're talking about uh, what 24, 25 year old. 100-point centerman, mm-hmm. guess what? There's only one of those. Like, there's there's basically – that's the most – people say, like, where are you going to find a defenseman? Or, like, I don't know why, but people are always – and you know I have these problems with semantic sayings. Uh-huh. But the defenseman don't grow on trees thing? It's like, yeah, of course. There's not some forest of defensemen being harvested in like NorCal. It's a like, metaphor. What are you talking about? It's a metaphor. Transfer. It's a terrible metaphor. It's not like, a terrible metaphor. Defensemen don't grow on trees. Like, no kidding. Jeez. It means they're not one. abundant. Like things that grow on trees are. <laughs> I guess. That's what it means. I mean, no, I, I get the metaphor. I'm not... I'm not Drax over here, but I just think it's such a like bad, annoying saying. Like it's lazy. Um, sure, I'll give you that. You it's know, a cliche. It's a cliche. I'll give you that. It's it's, but it's not even. It's just not even evocative. Like I hate it. Anyway, <laughs> the if defensemen don't grow on trees. Yes. Okay. Yes. 100-point centermen in their mid-20s are, you know, one of five. They're infinity stones. I mean, they're the rarest objects around. And if you're able to lock in cost certainty on Pedersen from the, from the perspective of, like, what really matters, what does this club need to do to win a Stanley Cup – you know, if you're able to lock in a four-year window with Pedersen and Hughes and you know what they're paid through 2027 at least when Hughes expires, but hopefully beyond that with Pedersen because I think you need to go max term there if you can. Um, you know, that's the sort of thing that two, three years from now when this team could with like years of discipline and smart moves actually build a, a great team. That's a realistic timeline in my view. Um, you know, that can matter. That, that, that matters way more than how they replace Ethan Bear or w- how good their playoff odds are at, in November, on November 1st, uh, 2023. So to me, that is absolutely priority number one. Dan and Sat nailed it. But from the Pedersen side, and this is where it gets really interesting. Yeah. He's not expiring. He's extension eligible. And a year from now, the cap might go up $4 million. And the first sort of elevator season as the flat cap era hopefully recedes into the rearview mirror. But also the next summer, you could get another $4 million lift. And by the time you get to the summer of 2025, Pedersen could be, you know, a UFA in a world with a $90-plus million upper limit. So... If you're signing this summer, like there's a real chance that you're underpaid before the deal even kicks in. <laughs> and and there's a real chance that six months thereafter, you're massively underpaid. Now, in Pedersen's case, you know, there's a Swedish outlook, a, like a holistic 
view of things. Like, I don't get the, this is just my read of the person, a person I've worked with and covered for years. I don't think like resetting the market, Mm. maximizing the value of his next deal. Like, obviously it matters to some extent, but I, I don't think it's priority number one, right? It's more about having a chance to win, enjoying the experience at the rink, you know, doing the right things, enjoying the vision or sorry, being sold the vision and enjoying the journey. Mm -hmm. I I think that's, what's really going to matter here. And I don't know that the Canucks have set themselves up to like really sell that just based on the lack of success that's been enjoyed here um, over the past few years. But I think there's at least a window of opportunity with a guy who does like playing in the city to at least approach and begin the conversation and see what you can do. I I just think from his side's perspective, um, it's going to be really challenging to get that deal done this offseason, given the unique dynamics of one last flat cap offseason and then two elevator offseasons. And I think it's going to be even more than assembling like an improved roster for next season, a real ingenuity test, a real salesmanship test for this front office. Like I think it would be a massive coup if you're able to get Pedersen done, especially to a max term deal or something close to it this summer, mm-hmm. I think that would be a, a massive deal, like a massive win for this organization. And not one I'm, and I'm not handicapping this here, but it's just so complicated that I don't know that we should put it in our expectation set so much as we should regard it as something that would be tremendous business for the club if they can close with some sort of you know proactive... Uh, stance on that type of deal this summer when Pedersen's that far away from unrestricted free agency, especially given how challenging the circumstances are. I, I don't think it's a July one deal. Let, let's put it that way. Uh, I'm, I'm, I would bet strongly against that. And, but if you can get that done this summer, that sets up a, an awful lot of interesting options for this club, including things like, okay, well, now we have kind of a couple of years. We don't have to make moves mm-hmm. with in, in our, the back of our minds. Like, we have to be a playoff team by the summer of 2025. Now we can maybe take a longer view toward constructing a really good team around these guys. Now, they should be doing that anyway, but that would certainly, you'd think, give the club a little bit more stomach to maybe look you know, beyond like tomorrow. Well, if there's not that internal fear of losing Patterson. And I, I do think for me, it's interesting because I completely agree. It's obvious. The rent was better the first time. Sorry yeah. not to interrupt you. <laughs> that's all right. It's completely obvious that he is the number one priority and that that's exactly how it should be. It, it's, it, it is interesting, though, because if you were going to handicap, how likely is he to sign an extension, a long-term extension in the next 12 months, let's say? Like, I would say the the possibility is, is pretty high. Not 100%, but I, I would say it's fairly high that they're able to get it done. It's just the reason it's still such a big question and such an important thing is because the ramifications in the dominoes, if it didn't happen, are so massive, right? They're completely franchise-altering if it doesn't get done. So even if there's a relatively small chance of it not getting done, it's still a really big question. It's still... Uh, a huge priority for this team. And I, I do think that the when question is really interesting as well. As you say, doesn't look like it's setting up to be a July 1st thing. And we've heard from uh, even Pedersen's agent, right, that, hey, you know, maybe we'll talk in the fall. We'll talk around training camp. You know, you do start to wonder. We talk so much about 
a good start for uh, this team and how important it is for a playoff push. Like, is that the kind of thing? If they got off to another really tough start in the uh, in the opening months of this season, is that something that makes Elias Pettersson less interested in uh, signing a long-term contract? Or at least, you know, it, pushing it off to the offseason, for example, preventing it from getting done in the middle of the season. I think the question of timing and when they're able to get it done is going to be uh, really interesting. And, and Todd has bad takes texts in. The single biggest priority in a PD extension needs to be getting max term. Cap hit matters less than buying out his uh, under 32 age years. Uh, that's from Todd has bad takes. And I mean, I agree. Max term is absolutely the uh, the goal. You obviously like there's a number you don't want to go above. You don't want to just write a blank check for Elias Pettersson. But there is so much value in getting it done earlier that if you are able to be aggressive and get it done in the summer or get it done in September, yeah, you mm. probably aren't that worried about going too high because at least you have it done. At least you're, it's off your uh, your to do list, and you can you know have all the benefits of certainty that you laid out. Yeah, there's it's it's like hard. It's like hard to overpay someone as good as Elias Pettersson. That's the thing, honestly. Yeah, you know, I, I mean. I'll I'll run more on this, but if you go look at, for example, the net rating metric, Dom's old or updated GSVA, mm -hmm. right? Like the model suggests that the average value that Pedersen is, um, you know, projected to provide through 2030 is 11.4 million per season. Yeah. So like you're getting surplus value on anything under 11.5 million, which of course is a figure that would make him a top five paid player in the game. And I don't think you need to go to that rate just yet. Now, if he has another hundred point season and that's the other thing here, right? Like right now, if you're negotiating with Pedersen, you're able to say things like, well, should you make more than Matthew Kachuk? Should you make more than David Pasternak? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a hard answer to counter based on his career scoring rates and, and on and on, even though he's got a 100-point season in his back pocket. And, in fact, that's the most recent season we've seen. But you do it again, <laughs> 40 goals, 100 points, elite defensive impact, uh, then that's, a, you know, then it's like you think you should be have, getting more than Kachuk and Pasternak? It's like, yes. I do, actually, yes. <laughs> in, in fact, I'm the centerman. So not only do I have the better scoring profile, but I also play the premium spot. Um, yeah. So and the cap has know, gone up, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Totally, and that's the other dynamic here. You know, for me, if the organization can get this deal done quickly, it's such a huge win because all of the incentives on Pedersen's side of this equation here commingle to suggest that waiting is the best approach mm. you know this is this is not one where a quick deal benefits the player or uh structuring it to benefit the player to be in their interests as opposed to your own uh is simple right like it's it's really tough and i the one thing i look at and you mentioned you know elias Pettersson, maybe not having the type of drive to you know quote unquote reset the market or put like a, a landmark deal there that other people can aspire to and then this is speculation but that might not be something he's interested in but you one thing that is interesting to me is the other big names at center that are eligible for extensions this summer right obviously austin matthews 
is up there, but you also have Sebastian Ajo, Lindholm in Calgary, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is an RFA. Not that, you know, Lindholm mm. was going to get $10 million or anything like that, right? But if no, he and, gets and a PLD, bigger number than expected. PLD and Lindholm, for me, would be different class guys. That's more like the Bo Horvat. They're shooting for the Bo Horvat I number. I agree, but if one of them yeah. gets, like, a bigger than expected, you know what I mean? If the class below does better than mm. expected, that helps the class above, too. Right. And then with Aho and... Matthews, like Matthews, yes, he's in a different category and he might go short term and everything, but both of those are contracts that I would think would have some potential to at least reshape the market in some way, potentially be very favorable for Elias Pettersson. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if there'll even be a bit of a, you know, game of chicken, like who goes first out of that group? Obviously, Dubois needs a new contract for next year, but of the guys who are actually eligible for extensions right. because it's going to be fascinating to see what the next evolution of the kind of elite center market is with the end of the flat cap in sight. Yeah, and, and the Aho one, you're right. That's a fascinating one, especially because the scoring rates don't match. And yet, like, he is a peer for Pedersen in terms of overall value, mm -hmm. and I think everyone knows that. And I think Carolina knows that better than anyone. So... And yeah, you're right. Matthews, we're talking about a historic scorer, right? Mm -hmm. So that that he's he's one of one, even above the class of guys. And then and then I still think the Zegras one is worth monitoring, like because Zegras's entry level scoring really does stack up nicely with some of the biggest uh, long term second contracts that we've seen. You know, we are talking about a guy who's had. Um, you know, just really high-level production over the course of his first three NHL seasons. Um, you know, he's not likely to be in that Marner class or anything, but, I, I you know, I think if that number gets really big, uh, you could see, you know, uh, you could see some pressure from that as well. Mm -hmm. um, this one from Reality Check in North Van says, why would anyone want to sign in Vancouver. I mean, listen, look, you and I have been plenty critical about the direction of the team and the and the team building and all of that, but like it's there's a lot to like about Vancouver as a city. There's a lot to like about playing for the fans in Vancouver. Yeah, of course there's negatives and there's things that might drive people away, but like I don't think there's any use in being overly cynical and saying why would anyone want to sign here? Everything we've heard from Elias Pettersson is that he likes playing here, right? And I think if the number is right and the term is right I don't think it's insurmountable whatsoever for the Canucks uh, to get him signed to a long-term extension I don't think you're at all talking about or thinking about a Dubrinkit Dubois style a uh, Goudreau Kachuk style situation here um, you know if it does go that way I think it'll be more about the team's results than the market mm -hmm. like I think it'll be more about internal dynamics than it will be you know, the external stuff, the the living in Vancouver stuff, the market stuff, the that stuff, I think, all appeals to him. Um, you know, I do think that at some point, if you want to convince elite competitive players and, and especially elite competitive players who are as competitive, you know, in terms of the, the core of steel within them as Pedersen is, uh, I do think at some point you need to be able to win. And, and look, look at the Canucks history. Like, what in the Canucks history suggests to you that this market has players jumping ship, right? Yeah. Like Vancouver's consistently been able to keep their best players in town 
right? Like if, if they've lost them, it's been over disagreements and money or how things went down. You know, it wasn't that Bo Horvat wouldn't sign here, for example, mm-hmm. right? It's that they couldn't come to an agreement on a price that made sense. Um, you know, they, they just kept JT Miller, right? Like this, this, or this, this club has not had the issues that we're seeing crop up in some of these other Canadian markets. And I, I, I mean, you know me, right? Like if I thought this was a thing that the club should be aware of, I would say so. Like, I I promise you, I would say so. And, and I really just don't see what basis there is to, to look at this Vancouver market and say like, this team's going to have trouble landing players. Um, I do think, however, that there is a point where if this club continues to toil in mediocrity, like l- let me, let me, you know, the, the stat that I like to cite, right, is Canucks are 26th in mm-hmm. point percentage. Uh, and I don't remember the exact sort of arbitrary end dates that I use there, but the, um, but I think it's like dating back to 2016, something like that, right? Like it's a long span of games in which the Canucks are 26th in point percentage. And if you look at the teams behind them, all of those teams except Detroit did better than them this season. And even in Detroit's case, like they passed them on the last day, right? And, and have just a bounty of draft picks. And I, I think a pretty straightforward path to outperforming the Canucks over the next five years. Um, the, only t- the only exception is the Arizona Coyotes, right? Like that level of hopelessness, should it persist, should this Rutherford Alvin axis be unable to arrest it? Should the talk it impact fall short? Um, if that persists, then that's going to become the issue. But I don't think Vancouver itself is. Well, and, and I mean, like the point you're laying out there is, again, why it's so important to sign Elias Pettersson long term. Right. Because if, if, if he is ever out of the picture, you're back at square run, really, in terms of team building, in terms of trying to find those cornerstone pieces. Yeah, no, and then, then you re- then you are for sure rebuilding, and it isn't even an argument. No, but it's also that it's coming. You're rebuilding after a period which, of the success that you just in laid out, and then it's success. stretching for a yeah. long, long time, and you don't have Elias Pettersson, and then you're in a really difficult situation, right? So, like that's why it's so incredibly paramount uh this one came in from andrew wouldn't Patterson demand a cap hit that is commensurate with the projected cap increases for a long-term deal he can certainly try he can certainly make that argument hey the cap is going to go up we know that so a player of my caliber is going to be worth a lot more for most of the years of this deal but you know the canucks do have leverage here as well and they can say well like the cap is what it is right now that's the environment we're negotiating in you're technically not due to be a ufa for two years that's when you'd be able to hit the market the Canucks can use that leverage and I mean I will say they're wingers so I'm not saying they're they're comps in terms of players but both Cole Caulfield and Jesper Bratt signed deals long-term deals max term deals that you can you can imagine looking like very very good deals for their team when the cap does start to go up oh, right like they I, didn't I ca- mean, the they, Jesper yeah the Jesper Bratt deal is a is a hashtag T-Bob tidy bit of business all day I mean that's a steal in my opinion and and you know one thing I don't think people talk about enough with Brat is how essential his speed and creativity, like his ability to make plays at the pace that pretty much only him and Jack Hughes and like three other guys in the league can play at. Mm. One of them's McDavid is so essential to the DNA of that team. And I know that team does need to get bigger. Like I, I know that I, I watched them play. I saw them play against that Carolina Hurricanes team like I do think they need some more snarl up front truly 
Um, you know, we were talking about that after the Canucks played them, right? And, and the Canucks got beat pretty soundly, but I was like, Dakota Joshua gave them too much trouble on the wall. If I was them, I'd be worried about that. So, like, I, I, I'm, you know, Brat doesn't necessarily address that, but if you were to tell me which player is more important for the Devils to keep, I would, I would answer Brat over Meyer all day, every day, just because the duo of him and Hughes playing at that pace gives them such a dynamic feel as a team. It's essential in their rise to being a contender. I, I think that Brat deals an absolute like grand slam, uh, w- like 500 footer, like no <laughs> doubt the moment, you know, like today we heard the crack of the bat, yeah. you know, like there's just no, we all know where that's landing. And again, you know, Players could theoretically try to play the, well, hey, we know the cap's going up soon, so I have to be paid like it card. And players could still try to do that. Or they could take the short-term uh, route like, you know, yeah, uh, Milstein's clients have. It's just have. too hard. It's just, that's you the thing. It's play, the teams have leverage, too. You can't fit it in. Yeah. You, well, and you can't fit it in. Like, at the end of the day, a cap increase is just a projection. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, um, the way to do those types of deals is to bet and like if you project the cap increasing and project what a player who isn't yet at a certain level can be right like those sort of two facets of uncertainty can commingle to give you a home run deal but that's how it works right like you, you can't sign a deal imagining a 90 million dollar cap mm-hmm. when you know, even the rosiest projection is that's two, three years away. Yeah, right? I, mean, like I, think, that's... I think from the team's perspective, it's like, hey, we're willing to give you term. You know, typically what the trade-off is, we go long-term and the AV comes down a little bit, right? So if you're a player and you're saying, hey, I want eight years and you have to pay me based on what the cap is going to be in two years, like that's a really tough sell for the team. Because it's like, well, hold on. Well, like, what are we getting out of this bargain? What are we getting out of giving you $8 million? And yeah, you can say, well, the player has all the leverage. That's true to an extent, but teams have leverage too. And well, and remember, I, when you're doing an eight-year deal too, it's also like, okay, well then let's also project it based on what you're going to be at thirty-two, thirty. For sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if teams do do that. If we're looking into the future, okay, then we'll just we'll knock off some because you're not going to be as effective by the end of the deal, right? And like that's mm. that's just generally not how negotiations. Uh, well, players don't want to hear that. Teams no. don't want to say that to their stars. So it's anyway, it's. All you can deal with is the set of facts in front of you and and do your best to come to a, a fair agreement. Um, but yeah, if if look, the point that I was trying to make here is just that I think it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to get Pedersen's autograph on a, on a max term deal this summer. And it has nothing to do with, you know, the, the, the usual Canadian market stuff. It's just this is such a weird one because of the timing mm-hmm. of the last flag season and then a reasonably anticipated increase in the future. Uh, I just think it would be a, an extraordinary act of salesmanship. Uh, best of luck to Canucks management. I think it is a priority for the organization. If they can pull it off, kudos to them. Even if they can't, they should take the absolute best run they can. Um, but pulling that off, I mean, that matters more than just about anything else we can discuss yep. for this summer. It just creates so much certainty so much flexibility and and you know honestly if this club could lock that certainty in and then use that to empower them to take the two or three years you really do need to take if you're going to get this organization somewhere truly worthwhile uh that would just be the best of both worlds team team win now gets what they want i get what i want everyone's happy (laughs) everyone is right there's 
there's dancing there's dancing on the seawall let's yep. go as dale and maple ridge says 11 schmill and move on yeah i mean hey i wouldn't i would not be against it dale uh we gotta end early you, you could go you could go higher than that and i'd be fine with it uh pro- we gotta end early producer dom is hosting the people's show next and he's like itching to get on the air early so we'll take oh. a, a bit of an early break here a couple minutes uh before we normally do thanks for listening uh drancer's off tomorrow but i'll be on with randeep at 11 we're live from the nat so tune in have fun uh, bud. and producer dom is coming up next here on sports enjoy the nooner